Hey everyone, how's it going? Laszlo Montgomery here. With all the recent intrigue and rumors going on with the case of former Chongqing party boss and one-time contender for the standing committee, Mr. Bo Lai, I thought, what the heck, let's look at his dad this week. If no Bo Bo, there wouldn't have been any Bo Lai. And Bo Bo, he was one of the many giants in party history. So everyone has heard more than their share about... Uh, Bo Lai, this past month or so, and his exploits in the city of Chongqing, let's sort of relive Chinese history again, looking at the years his father, Bo Yibo, lived. This was from 1908 to 2007. That's a long life, 98 years. In fact, he was only a month shy of making it to double nine. Bo was one of China's eight immortals, as they were called. This was sort of a play on the ancient Taoist deities so popular in Chinese culture. They were called the Ba Da Yuanlao, the Eight Elders, also called the Ba Lao. These were the most preeminent party leaders in China during the time of Deng Xiaoping, after he made his last and final comeback in 1977. And our subject today, Bo Yibo, he was the last of them to pass from this earth, leaving us in early 2007. I think only... Um, Wanli survived Bo, but not by much. He wasn't one of the eight immortals, however, but maybe he should have been. So with Bo Yibo's passing in 2007, that was pretty much the final living link to those earliest days of the CCP. Of the eight elders, Bo was considered one of the four principal hardliners who, although he was an ally of Deng Xiaoping, also tried to keep some of the reforms from moving too fast. And this is especially true of the political reforms. And Bo Yibo and the other hardliners all backed down when it came to calling in the tanks when the Tiananmen incident happened in June 1989. In zooming out and looking at Bo Yibo's long and historic life from afar, he fits very nicely into the classic mold of old comrade of Mao Zedong from the 1920s, the earliest possible days, he participates in the final stages of the Long March. He's in the upper rungs of the PRC government from day one. Navigates all the political crocodile-infested waters of Zhongnanhai and survives the upheavals only to suffer a most horrible, degrading, and inhumane fate during the Cultural Revolution years. And then he makes a comeback after the upheaval that followed in October 76 when the Gang of Four were arrested. Then this cleared the way for Deng Xiaoping's historic return, and it was Bo Yibo, along with these other elders and their proxies and protégés, who were the movers and shakers behind the rough but ultimately successful road China took in the 80s and 90s. Bo Yibo wasn't the only one who suffered this similar agony and then ecstasy. I think if you look at all eight of these party elders of the 80s and early 90s, they all didn't fare too well during the Cultural Revolution. So, in looking at Mr. Bo Yibo today, let's not only see what role he played in the PRC, but also how his life and career sort of was typical of a lot of these guys. Peng Zhen, uh, Chen Yun, Deng Xiaoping, Yang Shangkun, Li Xiannian, you know, all those guys. Bo Yibo came from Shanxi, coal country. Heavy industry and hard, scrabble living. He was born 100 kilometers north of the provincial capital of Taiyuan on February 17, 
1908. The Qing Dynasty Death Watch was still going on, and they still had three more years to go. When Bo was four, his mother gave birth to his younger brother, who Bo woefully recalled later on became a victim of infanticide. So poor was his family that an extra mouth to feed was out of the question, and they had to do the unthinkable. He joined the party at age 17 in 1925 and carried out party work up in his home turf of Tigran. This meant he was always dodging the KMT police, but this was commonplace everywhere these CCP cells operated. From Shanxi, Bo Yibo was sent to Tianjin to carry out organizational work for the party. In 1931, he was captured and thrown into prison along with another five dozen other communists. To save their own skin and to live to fight another day, they signed papers that essentially you know, broke all their ties with the CCP. He did what he had to do to get out of jail, and then he went back to doing his party work. Now, this brief stint in a KMT prison is going to come back to haunt Bo Yibo. Jiang Qing dredged up this incident during the Cultural Revolution to prove Bo Yibo was a renegade. And we'll see. Bo ends up during the Cultural Revolution eating bitterness for a decade and a half. The legend of Bo Yibo tells of a band of guerrillas he put together known as the Dare to Die, or the more sensational-sounding Shanxi Suicide Squad. This was during the War of Resistance against Japan before and during World War II. The Japanese were all over Shanxi because that place is coal and bauxite heaven. And all this business of invading and occupying China was about securing natural resources. Bo's troops fought against them and did their best to contribute to the demise of the Japanese army. He also played a key role in the integration of the later strongly anti-PLA warlord Yan Shishan's 200,000 troops into the Red Army. After the forces of the CCP prevailed in the civil war against the nationalists, Bo Yibo pretty much carved out his niche in the new order. He became China's first finance minister from liberation in 1949 to 1952, and it was in this, steering China's economic ship, that Bo has made his place in history. Pretty much for the entirety of Bo's career, except when he was in prison and out of favor, Bo's portfolio included China's economy. From 1954 to 56, he was vice chairman of the State Planning Commission, and from 56 to 66, he was chairman of the State Economic Commission, and also served as one of the vice premiers. He was a conservative planner, but open to new ideas. His careful stewardship of the economy, along with Chen Yun, was cast aside in 1958 when Mao launched the Great Leap Forward. You see, Bo was typical of many economic planners, but he was chairman of the State Economic Commission during the Great Leap. Bo knew this whole program was an utter and complete sham. But Mao Zedong fully expected Bo to handle these things, all these unrealistic targets, everything. And Bo knew Mao was wrong. So did Li Fu Chun, the guy in charge of the State Planning Commission. Those two were two serious and conservative planners who knew what had to be done to keep China on the right track. But they were also human beings who loved life, no doubt. For them to dare 
to speak up and tell Chairman Mao he was nuts, it would have meant their death. I don't have to mention again what happened to poor Peng Dehuai when he said something negative about the chairman's loony policies. In the end, all Bo Yibo could do was keep telling all his subordinates to do their best to fulfill targets he and Li Fuchun put in place. There's an old story from the Great Leap Forward. You see, Bo Yibo was Mao's longtime swimming partner. Mao was an avid swimmer. So he and Bo Yibo one day doing their laps, and they stop for a while and chat in the pool, and Mao asks Bo, so what about the uh, prospects for iron and steel production? You know, this was the yardstick that Mao used to measure the success of the Great Leap. Well, Baugh was caught off guard and didn't have any numbers to offer the chairman. So he muttered, you know, well, let's, you know, double back to the other end of the pool. And the next day, Mao was happy to announce that iron and steel production the next year would double. Well, just a story. Who knows? Boy Bo may have been Mao's swimming partner and loyal supporter for all these years, but that didn't inoculate him from the horrors that awaited him when the Cultural Revolution began. Bo's nightmare began on February 9, 1967. The Wenhua Taka Ming was at a full boil. The so-called godfather of the Cultural Revolution, Kang Sheng, did his little behind-the-scenes manipulation and arranged a massive rally at Beijing's Workers' Stadium to hold a struggle session against Bo. Bo faced the crowd with this heavy iron plaque around his neck listing all his various trumped-up charges against him. You know, this is how they did it back then. They hung this plaque around your neck listing your crimes and maybe for good measure they put a dunce hat on your head. When he tried to speak to the crowd, the Red Guards just jumped him, grabbed him violently by the hair, and threw him down to the ground and started wailing on him and forcing his, you know, head to the ground and screaming at him, kicking him, telling him to shut up, and they dragged him to the back of the stage. But Boy Ball was defiant. The Red Guards saw this cat wasn't going to go easy. When Ball rushed to the microphone and said, Comrades, I am not a traitor. I am a member of the Communist Party. You know, that was it. He was attacked and grabbed by the hair again, and a whole litany of accusations were made against him. You, know, you name it, capitalist, Kuomintang spy, whatever abuses they could hurl, they did. I'm sure you've all seen this in the movies, maybe The Killing Fields or you know some other Hollywood movie, or even these old black and white movies shot in China during the Cultural Revolution. You know, one guy just getting the you-know-what kicked out of him. You know, and a dozen screaming, angry people in a lather, just screeching and screaming. You know, what can you do in a situation like that? You take it like a man and do your best to survive, or you surrender to them and die. Boy Boy was a fighter. He wasn't going to give up. Never did. You see, they were dredging up this whole incident from 1931 when he had been captured and imprisoned by the KMT police for his communist organizing activities in Tianjin. Rather than confess and face the inevitable, Bo Yibo maintained as valiantly as he could that every step he had taken since he had left that KMT prison had been carried out in accordance with the directives of the Party Central Committee. And he cried out that Chairman Mao knew this. Well, this initial struggle session turned out to be a whole chaotic disaster, and nothing went according to the Red Guards' plan. They had to end it right away, hardly five minutes after it started. Boy Yibo wasn't going to be a pushover like some of the other party elites who were resigned to their fate and didn't show any defiance. 
The following month, Ball was sent to a Beijing prison. They heaped any and every charge on him. A backbone general of the Liu Shaoqi, Deng Xiaoping Black Headquarters, a core element of the Liu Shaoqi renegade clique, a big trader, counter-revolutionary revisionist element. His life was hell, and daily he was subjected to the worst imaginable horrors that so many of us have read about that happened to so many good people during the Cultural Revolution. And even the good work he had done enlisting the aid of the warlord Yan Shan during the um, War of Resistance against Japan, that was thrown in his face too, and he was made to pay dearly for cavorting with the later rapidly anti-communist Yen. Well, like most all of the targets of the Cultural Revolution, Bo Yibo was airplaned, a kind of torture where the victim's arms are pulled back, you know, behind their back and ratcheted up so that the shoulders essentially are dislocated, and one's head is simultaneously shoved down so that the combination of this and having one's arms pulled up out of their sockets, as you can imagine, is horribly uh, painful. And all the while, as this was happening, his tormentors would be screaming at him and pulling his hair and kicking him. Well, you know, this was the Cultural Revolution. This craziness and insanity was normal stuff. In his prison cell, he wrote down his thoughts on scraps of newspaper. This was in August of 1967. China is in total chaos. Bo wrote, quote, After yesterday's beating, my stomach illness flared up again last night. The pain was unbearable. I was unable to sleep for even 15 minutes. This afternoon, the pain got worse. In particular, my wrists and my arms are in pain. My motions are now entirely limited, and I can no longer hold a pen steady. How can I write a confession? Bo is 59 years old when all this is going down. During a struggle session one day, he tried to reason with his tormentors and speak the truth, and he was violently dealt with, and he famously wrote, quote, Me and my big mouth. These struggle sessions went on for days. It was a most horrific form of mental and physical torture. And it's not like he was just some guy. I mean, he was a vice premier. He was Mao's swimming partner for all those years. Well, I guess if it hadn't have been because of that brief spell in a KMT prison with 60 others, Bo Yibo's main tormentors, Jiang Qing and Kang Sheng, they would have found something else to attack him for. But this was his main crime. This was the the red meat that the leftists went after to destroy Bo Yibo. This went on and on, seemingly forever, I guess it must have felt to Bo. When he was made to confess to his crimes, whatever they were, Bo refused. He said this, this was, these were all false accusations, and, well, you know, he acted like a hero. He was a hero. He was pushing 60 years old and had already suffered the kind of abuse that some men buckled under and confessed to anything just so that the pain and screaming would stop. But boy, Bo wouldn't do it. He was thrown back in his prison and forced to write a confession. And for good measure, the Red Guards prohibited him from sleeping until he provided them with the confession. He refused. He sat at his desk, and when he would steal a quick catnap by putting his head down on the desk, they took the desk away. But they left a bench inside his prison cell. But that, too, was taken away when he used that to rest on. Well, in short, Boyi Bo was defiant, and for this he was beaten within an inch of his life. But he wouldn't confess. His body was broken. His mind was tortured. But Kang Sheng, he couldn't get what he wanted, despite the thugs from 
Kong's goon squad just whacking the heck out of Bo. They tried starving him, depriving him of sleep, of water. Nothing would get this brave man to give in to their outrageous demands. Well, he had been tortured so badly, he could hardly use his arms or his hands for anything. When his meager daily meal would come, he couldn't even hold chopsticks and had to eat what little they gave him off the ground like a, like a starving beggar on the street trying to, you know, scoop up scraps of garbage. But boy, boy, he hung in there. Maybe it was his determination to survive and one day get justice for what had happened to him. He aged a hundred years during this time. His body was broken, but not his spirit. In a letter, Ball was allowed to write to his family in that terrible August of 1967. He wrote, quote, I've been away from you for eight months already. How are you all doing, really? I have no knowledge whatsoever of your living conditions and such. I'm very sorry that, because of my sins, so much anguish and misfortune have come to you. He closed his letter by saying to his family, quote, I'm not a counter-revolutionary revisionist, and I am not a traitor. I must, and I will, refute that and make my rebuttal. That, however, is my own business. As for you, you should do only one thing, and that is obey party orders. Soon after, his Red Guard tormentors let him know his wife, Hu Ming, had committed suicide to escape punishment and three of his children, including Bo Xilai, were now in their hands and would suffer for his crimes. Whether his wife committed suicide or was killed, nobody knows. Suffice to say, Hu Ming, Bo Yibo's wife and the mother of Bo Xilai, she became another victim of those ten years of madness. Well, Bo Yibo, he spent the rest of the Cultural Revolution in prison, I gave you a flavor of what he went through. And like I said, it wasn't just Bo Yibo. All of those party elders who were later part of Deng Xiaoping's reform and opening up to the outside world team, they all suffered the same or similar fates. Some of them were protected by Zhou Enlai, who did his best to lessen their pain. But what I explained about Bo Yibo, Peng Zhen, Yang Shangkun, all those guys, they all suffered. And they suffered as well as their families. Bo Lai was just a teenager when he went through all this living hell. He didn't have it as bad as his father did, but his life was uprooted. And as I said, his mother didn't survive the terror. So 15 years of pain and suffering, Bo Bo survived it. And like I said, when Deng Xiaoping came to power, he was able to bring many of these guys back also. As one of the eight immortals, Bo didn't have any particular executive authority, but he did have a fair amount of influence, and people paid attention to him. Bo spent a lot of his time exercising his passions in calligraphy and chess. Bo played a major role in the dismissal of Hu Yaobang from office, and we're going to look at Hu Yaobang one of these days in a separate podcast, so I won't go into the gory details of his demise, but let's just say Hu Yaobang was more liberal than most and perhaps was a little too enthusiastic about the political reforms that were being bandied about in 1986-87. These were the days of the protests and challenges to the party by Liu Binyan, Wang Ruowang, and the brilliant physicist Fang Lijie, who sadly passed away last Friday in Tucson. Hu was considered soft on this trio, and Bo Yibo 
and most of the other party elders were very insistent on Hu's dismissal, and they got their way in the end. And with the fall of Hu, the eight immortals began to assert themselves more, and some of you may recall there began a campaign against so-called bourgeois liberalization. And it was Bo Yibo who played the lead role in the dismissal of Hu. In his charge sheet against Hu Yaobang, Bo said he had failed to do anything to prevent the so-called spiritual pollution, opposing only leftists, but not rightists, and for advocating total westernization and too much capitalism. Bo also charged Hu Yaobang with being sort of a loose cannon, saying things he shouldn't have said publicly that didn't necessarily follow the party line. So Hu Yaobang got canned, and as we'll see later on in April 1989, he dies, and the upshot of all that, of course, was the Tiananmen incident on June 4th, 1989. At the 13th Party Congress in 1987, Deng retired. But I put that word retired in quotation marks because, of course, he retained a great deal of influence, not to mention final say on anything of importance. The deal was, if Deng retired, so did all the party elders have to retire, and that caused a very big rift, and none of them, including Bo Yibo, were willing to go quietly. They all felt they were being unceremoniously pushed aside or kicked upstairs, serving only as part of the Central Advisory Committee that had been set up in 1982 and abolished 10 years later in 1992. And it was as part of this august body of elders that Bo Yibo exercised his continued influence on the direction of the party, and, you know, therefore China. The Zhao Ziyang era began. The third generation of leaders was clearing the decks of all the second generation leaders. But not until these eight immortals began to die one by one or become too frail to do anything, did the reforms in China gather some speed. They were, almost to a man, not what you'd call progressive. And the push and pull between them and Zhao Ziyang was fierce. Zhao, like Hu, was only considered slightly less liberal. So it didn't take long before these hardcore conservatives, led by Bo Yibo, Wang Chen, and Li Xianyan, began to call for Zhao's head. And of course... On May 19, 1989, Zhao was unceremoniously yanked from the top spot after his ill-fated visit to Tiananmen Square to talk to the protesters. After the June 4 Tiananmen incident, Deng Xiaoping had a friend in Bo Yibo. Bo's stance was clearly with Deng, the party leadership, and against the protesters. Well, like I said, in 1992, the Central Advisory Committee was shut down, but Bo continued to be involved in matters of finance and China's economy. He may have been officially retired from government, but as long as they were still alive and could still speak coherently, the living remaining immortals still had some degree of influence. When he passed away in 2007, the official statement from the party was that Boy Bo died of an undisclosed illness and that he was, quote, an excellent CCP member, a great communist warrior, a great proletarian revolutionary, and a prominent leader in the party's economic work. He was the last of the eight immortals to pass from the scene, and with Bo's passing, it brought an end to this second generation of leaders. 
After Boyibo's death, something called the 19 Conversations made the rounds at the top levels and later on the internet. Essentially, it was Bo's final words uttered at the end of his life to various leaders who all came to visit him when he was dying from cancer in 2005-2006. In these 19 conversations, Bo gave his thoughts on socialism, Mao, the current party situation, corruption, and also with the princelings, including his own son. And last, there was a very poignant letter that Ball was supposed to have written to Hu Jintao and the entire Central Committee less than two weeks before he passed. It read, quote, Comrade Jintao and the Central Committee of the CPC, I am soon coming to the end of my life, and there is one thing I regret. I was unable to see the return of Taiwan and the unification of the country. There are two things I wish to say. The country still has more than 30 million people in poverty and corruption in the party is extremely serious. The Communist Party has responsibility. To his son, Bo Xilai, and others, such as Xi Jinping and Zhou Xiaochuan, he said, quote, You are the successors to the older generation. You possess an air of superiority. There are many opinions and criticisms of you in society, some of which are pertinent. You must mingle in society and with the people, Accept their examination. Don't just live off the capital of your parents' generation. Well, there's some argument whether these so-called 19 conversations were authentic or not. I don't doubt they're real, and having read them all, they seem like something Ball would have said. Thanks, everyone, for all your emails and kindness you've shown me in complimenting the China History Podcast. Keep those good ideas and suggestions coming. And so, from Irving, Texas, this is Laszlo Montgomery, hoping against hope we'll see you next week for another exciting episode of the China History Podcast.